In 1 Corinthians 11, we have the words of institution as they are given to us by the Apostle Paul. Let's give our attention to those words. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these kind words of warning, of reminder, of caution, and yet of joy. We pray, Lord, that in these moments, your Spirit would reveal our hearts to ourselves and we would deal with you honestly and openly. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Those words are a warning, a caution to all of us that this table, this wonderful table that is before us, is for God's people. It's a family table. And if you are not one of His people, meaning if you're not trusting in Christ alone, then we're glad that you're here and we want you to watch and we want you to take it all in. But understand that it is a family table. And the Father of the family has said that this is for my children, that my son bought a place for at this table. And if you are one of my children, he would go on to say, as he did here, but you are not dealing with your sin then you need to deal with your sin. But if at this point you are making it an idol that you will not deal with, then don't come to the table for now. Deal with that sin. And then come. Because the Father says, you ought not to make a mockery of what I've done here. This represents what my son did on the cross 
Don't ever mock that. Because if you do, you will eat and drink condemnation on yourself. And so in a few moments, we will pass these plates. And I hope you will be prepared to take as one of his family. Some of you might have come in today and said, oh, uh uh-oh, it's communion. I didn't prepare for that. They They told us last week to be ready for this. But I forgot, and here I am. And then others of you might have come in and said, I have prepared all week long. I'm really ready for this. I've got my heart right. Now let me give you a caution on either end. We did encourage you to prepare. Jerry Bridges, in probably my favorite book, which is The Disciplines of Grace, talks about a good day, bad day scenario. He says a good day is like this, um, spiritually a good day. Your alarm goes off, you wake up promptly, you get out your Bible, you read the Word of God, you pray, you have a wonderful time with the Lord, You eat breakfast, you go on to work, and all day long things just seem to be going well. And then, that night, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who's truly searching. And even as you're sharing with them, you pray that God would open their heart. It's a good day. And then there's the bad day scenario. One of those days where spiritually things just aren't quite going that way. Your alarm goes off, you hit the snooze. And maybe hit it again. And by the time you get up, you go, oh, I'm going to be late for work. And so you don't have time to read the word of God or to really even to pray. You know, maybe on the fly a little bit. And on the way to work, you're dealing with traffic and not really handling that all that well, maybe saying some things or or at least thinking them that you ought not to be. And you go through the day and maybe maybe say some things that aren't that nice to other folks. And then, then that night, you get the opportunity to be a witness to somebody who needs Christ. Now here's a question. Would you go into those two witnessing opportunities feeling differently? Perhaps after the good day, you go into that opportunity much more confidently. Yes, God can use me. I'm clicking with him today. And I believe God will bless my efforts because of my good day. Whereas on the other end... On a bad day, you go into that witnessing opportunity and you think, oh, woe is me. God, How could God possibly use me? 
the way I have dealt with this day. You see, it's all too common a feeling that although we as believers know we are saved by grace, it's only His grace that we sometimes act like after we are saved, that our relationship with him depends upon our works. And we spend the rest of our life trying to work our way and to be in his good graces. Now the same thing can happen with this table before us. There is, there's no question, there can be a sense that we can and ought to prepare for this table. But we must never come in our own strength or with the delusion that we are good enough to have a place at this table because of anything that we have done. Bridges puts it this way. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Isn't that comforting? Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And so we must never be puffed up and and think well, I had it clicking today. I might need his grace tomorrow, but I'm on target today. So how's it work? Romans 8, 1. We sang this earlier. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's a reminder of how it works. The first thing to notice is that it says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. Whenever you see that, you know that it is building upon something or things that has, have been said or taught before. And that's the case here with Romans. And so if you survey Romans 1 through 7, it talks about sin being in the world and death because of sin. Romans 4 and 5 talks about justification, and that is the uh, ungodly being declared righteous. We're going to explain that a little bit more In a few moments, how can the ungodly be declared righteous? On what basis? And that's what Romans deals with and and fleshes out there. And then Romans 6 talks about how believers are alive in Christ. And then Romans 7 speaks of, of Paul and his struggle with sin. Even though he's a believer, he is grappling with the sin that is still there in his life and how he struggles with it if you will, that's Paul's bad day in Romans 7. 
And then we read in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now what follows that in Romans 8 is more about justification, how we are free from the guilt of sin. And then he talks about sanctification, which is that process of God working in our life to make us in this life more and more like Jesus. And so we have a definite break with sin to where it's no longer our master, but then he works in us daily and weekly, not, not in an immediate, we don't immediately become like Christ, it's more usually kind of like this, but more and more we become conformed to Christ. In other words, we no longer have to sin at that point. Now, why does Romans 8.1 say there is therefore now no condemnation? That's the question here. What happened that took away the guilt and power of sin? What happened to cause justification, to cause uh, God to be able to declare those who are ungodly, to declare them as righteous? What happened to uh, enable us to have a definite break with sin to where it's no longer our master? Let me take you to two scenes. The first scene is in the third book of the Bible, Leviticus. We read about the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> you may know it as Yom Kippur. Literally, in the Hebrew, Yom is day, Kippur, of covering. The day of covering, the day of atonement. Actually, yesterday, Jews worldwide celebrated Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. What did that mean, though? Why was it there in the Old Testament. That was, for the Old Testament priest, the highest exercise of serving as a mediator for his people, a representative. He, although he sinned as well, he presented sacrifice for the sin of his people. He was the mediator. He took off his elaborate clothing, put on a simple white signifying purity, uh, a white robe in order to do this. And then he entered into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. And then he performed sacrifices, which climaxed the whole system of purification in the Old Testament in Leviticus. Bloody, filthy sacrifice. He would confess sin. Laying his hands on the head of a scapegoat, confessing Israel's transgressions, their sins, and then he sprinkled the shed blood seven times toward the mercy seat 
where the presence of the Lord dwelt. And so through all of that, for the time being, there was peace and fellowship with the God of the covenant. It was restored. Now symbolically, that was done by giving the life of one animal and the sending of another animal out into the wilderness. But it was only a shadow. It was only a symbol. Because it had to be done again next year. And the year after that and after that. But all of that was pointing to something else. It wasn't about this priest. It wasn't about animals having their blood shed. It was a shadow of something that was to come. Fast forward to the New Testament. To another one fulfilling the role of high priest. Representing his people. To the Lamb of God. This high priest had no sin. He was perfect. And so the Lamb of God was being sacrificed for the sins of his people and not himself. You're looking at Jesus on the cross. It was not a shadow. It was the real thing. It was what everything Every special day, every sacrifice, everything in the synagogue, everything in the temple pointed toward uh, that time on the cross and it was fulfilled in what Jesus did so that when he said, it is finished, all of that was finished. It was no longer necessary. And that's why there is now no condemnation for those trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. That's why we don't celebrate Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or any of those. They were fulfilled in the Messiah. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so what's left for us Nothing in our hands we bring to this table to deserve it. We admit our sin. We repent of our sin. And we trust in Christ to know that we have peace with God which brings us a seat at the table.